Would you join me in a word of prayer before we read and study the word? Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that loves us with an everlasting love, that you are ever with us, Lord, to grant us wisdom when we ourselves, Lord God, are in need of it. Your word tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, that we're to ask of you, and that you, without reproach, would give, and give abundantly, Lord, of your wisdom. We ask for that wisdom this evening as we come to your word, and we pray, Father, that you will help us through your Holy Spirit, that we ask that you would pour out upon us to, uh, that we may rightly divide and rightly understand, Lord, your word. Not only as it applies to the things that are yet to come, but Lord, as it, as it applies to us today. I, I know, Lord God, that um, so often we, we find ourselves in times of need and struggle. But when no one else is there, you are there. And I know that you would have us to call upon your name, Lord God, in those times of, of struggle, trial, of tribulation. Because you have always been faithful, Lord, to meet us at that very place. And I know that it's your desire to meet some of us here, Lord, tonight, in the very point of our hearts. To bring, Lord God, your strength, to bring your wisdom, to bring, Lord, the, uh, the strength and the wherewithal to, to endure through these things, Lord God, because we know that we can get through them, Lord, not by our strength or might or power, but by by your Spirit. So grant us that, Lord, tonight as we even come today to study your Word. I pray, Father, that we would put aside those burdens for the time so that we might hear you clearly and maybe, Lord, even receive from you what we need to hear tonight to help us in our day-to-day walk. And so comfort those that are hurting today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 26, beginning at verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. As we continue on in what is known as Isaiah's little apocalypse, covering chapters 24 through 27, we come to a chapter of great significance to the nation of Israel in regards to its deliverance through the great tribulation period. Now, Understand that we're looking at a coming event, something that is yet to happen. 
something that uh, we don't know how, how much longer it will be before we begin to see these things happen. Certainly, everything that we see today is pointing toward that day with the nation of Israel and all of its enemies surrounding it and all. But that great and terrible day of the Lord, we, we haven't quite gotten to that yet. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in this, in this world that are, that are wrong or that, that are, that are uh, oppressive, but nothing like that great and awesome and terrible day of the Lord as it's described in, in, in many, many places in the Old Testament, in particular in the book of Joel and, and all. But what is noteworthy here, as, as we've been going through these particular chapters uh, in our study of the, gospel, of the uh, book of Isaiah, is, is the praise that the remnant of Israel continues to ascribe to the Lord God due to the fulfillment of His promises, which results in their deliverance from the power of their oppressors and their spiritual strength and fortification that will come under Messiah's righteous rule and reign. In other words, what we're seeing in these chapters from 24 through 27 is not only that day where there is going to be darkness and there's going to be all kinds of trouble going on, but it's leading to that day when Jesus is going to come and appear to His own people and they'll see Him whom they pierced, Zechariah, as we've read before many times. And, and it will be at, on this day that they'll begin to realize who their Messiah is and the rejoicing of the remnant that is saved through this terrible time, will be lifting up this praise and rejoicing unto their God. Now we can't forget that the only ones who can sing and the only ones who can rejoice in the midst of any tribulation are those whom the Lord will deliver. And in the midst of the world being judged, we hear those songs, we've heard them. For example, in chapter 24, just go back a couple of pages to chapter 24, and remember, if you will, what it says in verses 14 through 16, they shall lift up their voice. Now remember, there's a harvest where there's no singing going on from the rest of the world because <laughs> there's, there's nothing to rejoice about if there's no harvest. But yet, there's nonetheless, uh, Isaiah mentions a song or a singing that goes on. They shall lift up their voice, they shall sing, it says. For the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore glorify the Lord in the dawning light, the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined, ruined, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Just to bring you back up to date with what that was all about, is that there was, a, uh, there, there was this treachery going on, this oppression going on, but in the midst of it, and Isaiah is saying, you know, there is a remnant singing, but he's still oppressed over the very fact, or, or he's still uh, uh, weighed heavy or burdened by, by the very things that are still going on. Now we get to Isaiah 25, verse 9, we still see this mention of singing going on. Uh, it says, It will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, we have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. And of course, the phrase, rejoice in His salvation, uh, uh, implies then that the song continues, of those who trust, of those who wait uh, in the Lord. Now, the deliverance of Israel is twofold. There's two parts to the deliverance of Israel. 
First of all, they will be, they will be delivered uh, from the power of their enemies who have oppressed them for centuries on end. And secondly, they will be delivered from their own sins when they enter into the full meaning of the true Day of Atonement. Now, you, we all know of, of, of the day called Yom Kippur. This is a day where it's the holiest day of, of the uh, Jewish calendar. It's the one single day when all of the uh, Jewish people will, will confess their sins before God. They, you know, they, they, they bring their hearts. They, they, uh, they, they become very serious on this particular day because this is the day. And it happens once a year for them. But uh, there's going to come a, a, a fuller meaning to that day, the true day of atonement, when they see their Messiah, Jesus, as their true sin offering. You see, they don't recognize Jesus right now. But Jesus is their Messiah. And when they begin to recognize that He's the one that, that uh, uh, is the true sin offering, then the day of atonement really becomes one single day of, of, of realization and then they begin to uh, come to that, uh, that place in their hearts when they don't have to do this every year any longer. Why? Because it was already fulfilled by the blood of Christ. You see, what happened to us is when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledged the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we acknowledged the fact that He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. When we did that, he, Jesus didn't have to die again. Another sacrifice didn't have to be taken. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was the full sacrifice. He was the true sacrifice. He was the true and only sacrifice. And because of that, we can rejoice. Because we now are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by the works that we do, not by the things that we do, but we trust in what Christ has done for us. Now, from that, we move on into service of the Lord. We move on into doing those things that honor God. But we don't save ourselves. We don't say, sit around and say, okay, what is it that I can do to please God? God has been pleased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ... It satisfies the Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ satisfies that, that, that righteous requirement that was upon all of us, including His people. So just getting back to a little bit of understanding of the gospel here for, for us to realize that, there, that one day, see, this is, still why, this is why we keep saying that Jesus isn't through with His people. The Lord isn't through with Israel because He is going to show Himself Strong on their behalf. Now in the book of Revelation we're told of a song that is sung by those who would be both martyred during the reign of the Antichrist as well as those saved alive out of what we call the time of Jacob's trouble, which is the Great Tribulation. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 15 for just a moment. And just bringing up once again this, this, this issue of, of the songs that go forth in, in rejoicing over what Christ has done. In this particular case, the Lamb of God. But in, in Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4, it says, And I saw something, and this is John speaking, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses. Interesting. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, 
for your judgments have been manifested. And so here was the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. The song of Moses itself, and, and I, I would ask you to read it to, uh, sometime tonight or tomorrow. Exodus chapter 15, the first 18 verses. Exodus 15 verses 1 through 18. These refer to God's faithfulness, or this song refers to God's faithfulness. A song of triumph over their enemies. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. So he's giving praise unto God. The song of Moses. The song of the Lamb is one of redemption through Christ's redeeming and atoning blood. And so Isaiah now records another song. Another song to be sung in the land of Judah during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on earth. What is the millennial reign? The millennial reign is the thousand year reign of Christ. In Isaiah 26 verses 1 and 2 it says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. This is the song by the way. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. That's the song. The redeemed remnant. Those that are saved through this great and awesome time that takes place. The redeemed remnant will rejoice over the strong city that is prepared for them. Now, what city is that? The city of Jerusalem. It is a city that is prepared for them where the Lord Almighty reigns. We're told, back, go back a couple of pages again, Isaiah 24, verse 23, where it says, Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before His elders gloriously. So there, we've already been told that the city of Jerusalem is going to be the city where God is going to reign, where Almighty God reigns. And the city, as we see in verse 1, is all about salvation. The city is all about salvation. It says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. In, in this new city, the, the, this, this revitalized, if, if you will, a, a rebuilt city as it were, and not really to confuse that with what we call the New Jerusalem, as we'll talk about in just a moment, but in the city of Jerusalem where it lays today, where it is today, instead of building walls to protect the city, God will simply set His salvation as the protection of that city. Now don't you think that that's a better protection for a city, the, the salvation of God, than the walls that man can build? Even though God commanded them to build those walls around that city in the days of, of, of old, they, they built the walls. Certainly walls had to be built around cities, uh, physical cities today. Not, not today. I mean, there's not a wall around El Paso. Uh, some people wish there was, but there, there isn't. Uh, and I, I don't know why they want to build a wall, whether it's to keep people out or to keep people in. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is we don't have walls like that anymore. There's very few cities, if any, that still have walls around them in modern times. But that's the point of all of this, that when God comes, He comes with salvation. And this should broaden our understanding, broaden our scope, 
of understanding of what salvation is, of how rich salvation is, of how grand salvation is. It isn't that we are just taken from death to life. It isn't just that we are taken from, the, from that, that, that aspect of, of despair into the life that, that Christ now gives us. It, it, it's even more than that. It is God being in control of all things to the point that we rest totally upon Him. And the city of our God is going to be protected by God alone, by His salvation, by His hand. Even the walls and the bulwarks, it says, will be saved. Everything that, that they may even remain there in Jerusalem. For those that have been to Jerusalem, you, you've seen this, the, the walls around the old city. And, and, and you realize, you know, those walls are very, are very significant in, in, in history, but they're also significant in the future. The book of Zechariah teaches us that, that there is one particular area on that wall on the eastern gate, on the eastern side, the eastern gate, where the Messiah is going to go in with his people through that wall, which uh, actually was walled in uh, many, many years ago in one of the invasions, one of the Muslim invasions. And they've walled the, the city, and, uh, or they walled it, uh, the, the gate, I should say. But uh, that's not going to be a problem for the Lord. He can go through anything. So he's, you know, he's going he's gonna to go through that. So, but, but the point of, the, of this is that it is significant that the word for salvation in the Hebrew is identical to the name Joshua or Yehoshua. It is identical except for one letter. So the word salvation and the name Joshua are exactly the same except for one letter. And they mean, and, and, and of course the, the name Yeshua or Yoshua which is the name Jesus, literally means God is salvation. And so the song is sung in anticipation to recognize the Lord Himself as their strong city and rejoicing in the actual rebuilding of that literal Jerusalem. This is why it says in verse 2, Open the gates, that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. And again, this could take us back to, or well, I want to say back, in a way, yeah, it takes us back to Zechariah, which takes us forward to that time. We go back to Zechariah. Zechariah points forward where that, that entrance into the city through the eastern gate will be accomplished not only with the Lord Himself, but with all of His saints going through the city. And so, and, and, uh, so it says that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. This city of God, with all of its strength and salvation, is only going to be for the righteous. It is also for those who keep the truth. The New Jerusalem, as we will know it, is going to be a, a city filled with glory. Uh, now, the, we say the New Jerusalem, in, again, in that particular sense that you know there is a time in the book of Revelation, and we'll, we'll see that here uh, possibly in just a moment, but uh, there is a New Jerusalem that's going to come. It's going, you know, in other words, it is, uh, we're talking about the, the Jerusalem, which is... A, going to be new in the sense that it was it is going to be the city where Jesus will reign for a thousand years from that standpoint you know uh, Jerusalem has gone through many many facelifts you know down through the ages this will be the the grandest of them all the grandest facelift where where uh, Jesus will be reigning uh, but it's going to be filled a city filled with glory and it excludes uh, the unrighteous think about this uh, turn to revelation let's let's go over there for now revelation chapter 21 Verses 23 through 27. It says, The city had no need of the sun, 
or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now again, it's important to note that the millennial reign of Christ, as described in Isaiah 26, and the coming of the new Jerusalem are both from the Lord, but they do come at different times in God's plan of the ages. But Jerusalem plays a significant role both times. The literal Jerusalem where we know Jerusalem to be today and the new Jerusalem which comes from heaven uh, which we, we've read a, a little bit about. So there's a distinction at least in time but it's still in God's plan. Let's go back to Isaiah 26 and verses 3 and 4 where it says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. This is a very interesting phrase. Let me, let's go back to verse 4 for just a second. It says, trust in the Lord forever, for Yah Jehovah, or Yah Yahweh. The Lord actually has capitalized the word Lord in, 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 in the original. So you have for Yah Yahweh is everlasting strength. And then that phrase, everlasting strength, is uh, the phrase, the rock of ages. For Yah, Yahweh, is the rock of ages. Only those who have trusted in, in Jesus Christ will enter into the city, as we said before. And because they believe, they have peace. There is a tremendous promise from the Lord here that we don't want to miss. The Lord promises that, uh, that we can have perfect peace. Oh, by the way, uh, it's written in the Hebrew, Shalom, Shalom. Perfect peace. It's an interesting thing. This, this whole phrase, verses 3 and 4. You will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for Yah, Yahweh, is, a, is the rock of ages. <laughs> so much change there. But that's really what it says. And this means a whole lot more than just, you know, this, this shalom, shalom, this perfect peace. Because oftentimes, I, I've quoted to you that the word shalom itself is not just peace as, as, we, as we think of peace and, uh, as, as an end of war. But shalom is, 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 is a word that, that represents completeness, wholeness, perfection in, in this particular sense that um, it is God's completeness that we receive when we have shalom. So it means a whole lot more than just the termination of war. It includes the blessings of wholeness, the blessings of health, the blessings of a quietness of soul, the blessings of preservation and completeness. And this is doubly intensified assurance. Why do we know that? 
Because it says Shalom, Shalom. You will keep him in Shalom, Shalom. It is doubly intensified assurance. Consider the counsel of Paul for just a moment in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Because it almost seems as if Paul is, 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 uh, is in Isaiah here 26 when he writes this. And he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. And by the way, literally that is saying, But the God of peace which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's a, there's a double intensity there where, where it's God and Christ. You know, they're certainly uh, a part of, of the peace that you have. And then he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Twice he mentions the God of peace. First he he says it, and it's written in the English, the peace of God. But lastly, he says, the God of peace. But literally, it's written the same way. The f- emphasis is on the God of peace. And it is doubly certain that those whose mind is stayed on the Lord, in other words, to, to, to have your mind stayed on the Lord means that your mind is steadfast on the Lord. Your mind is steadfast on God. It is, it is like it's, it's implanted in God. It is, you, you just stay there with God. Your mind isn't wandering, going this way and that way, being anxious for everything. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Why? If your mind and heart is stayed upon God, what do you have to worry about? Do you have problems? We all do. Each and every one of us in this room, we have problems. And if we started, if we wanted to be totally honest and tell our problems, we'd all stand up, we'd be here for hours. Oh, forget that, we'd be here for days. We would just, you know, if we were that honest, you know. But, you know, the thing, the thing about it is, is that when our mind is stayed upon God, those problems look like nothing. I mentioned this not too long ago, but too many people have their problems bigger than the God that, that they say they serve, and all of a sudden the problems are so big, but you can't see God behind the problem. The reality is that if we have a God that's bigger than everything, is us all we see and we can't see the problem. He said, I'll be with you through those problems. I'm not going to get you out of problems. I'm going to take you through them. But you're going to see my power. You're going to see my wisdom. You're going to see my grace. You're going to see me work through those problems. And when he says that, he says that because he says, you're not going to do this alone. Where do we keep thinking that we're going to come through this and do it ourselves with our wisdom? And our, I tell you, our wisdom doesn't, doesn't uh, come up to nothing when it comes to God. That's why he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I don't know why we keep asking everywhere else. So it's doubly certain then that those whose mind is stayed on the Lord will be guarded and, and will be watched over because they will trust the Lord with confidence. In other words, peace comes from trusting someone who is trustworthy. Peace comes from trusting someone who is trustworthy. 
And it's all a matter of a steadfast mind. Is your mind stayed upon God? I want you to consider that we're dealing with the mind here as well as the heart. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with what? All your mind. Not just with your heart, but with your soul and with your mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. The same thought is in Philippians 2, 5. We don't have, I just looked that up later. But it talks about the mind of Christ, and we have the mind of Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, notice, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where is your mind? Is it steadfast in Christ? Is it steadfast in the Lord? Or is it roaming here, roaming there, looking for answers here, looking for answers there? I, I don't like to watch TV much in, in the afternoon, but my brother and my sister-in-law have been staying with us a few weeks, and, and she was watching Dr. Phil. And so I sat there. And, you know, I mean, he had some advice, you know, to a couple that was going through stuff and all. And, and I just kept thinking, you know, well, there, well, he's saying, uh, you know, things that probably will help in, in, to some extent. It can only go so far. Because a person's mind and, a, and heart have to be steadfast in, in, in accomplishing something. And you can't sit there and tell the person, are you going to work on this? Yeah, I'm going to work on it. It don't look like you're going to work on it, but it looks like, you know, well, they're on national TV telling millions of people are going to work on it, so maybe they will, but maybe they won't. Because your mind can be steadfast, or, or, or your mind can, 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 can listen to that, and then a little later somebody else will tell you something else. Our hearts and our minds need to be steadfast in Christ. Because everything that He said is perfect. It's not one thing that He hasn't said that isn't perfect. Everything that He said is perfect. And when he says, come to me and I'll help you. Come to me and I'll yoke myself to you. I'll be with you. I'll go through this thing with you. I'll be your strength. I'll be your wisdom through it all. And we don't do it. What happens? After certain things happen, we start saying, I wish I had done what Christ said. Well, then do them. And do them now. In the next passage, we, we build upon the fact that we keep our minds stayed on him due to faith, due to trust and confidence. Faith, trust and confidence. We're really talking about the same thing here. Faith, trust, and confidence. Isaiah 26, look at verses 4 through 6. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. In other words, the rock of ages. For He brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city. He lays it low, He lays it low to the ground, He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. 
We should know that the person who confidently looks up to the Lord, the person who trusts in the Lord with confidence and commits everything to Him, is lifted above all those things that cause distress and anxiety. The person who trusts confidently and looks up to the Lord is going to be able to be lifted above all of those things. Now, again, look at, look at the wording here. Trust in the Lord forever. It says, uh, uh, the, the Lord is everlasting strength. The Lord is, what? The rock of ages. He brings down those who dwell on high. But He lifts up, folks. The, the implication is He lifts up those who humble themselves before the Lord. We can see this uh, clearly in a, in a similar passage, and, and it's one that many of you know, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-7. through seven. Proverbs 3, 5-7, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You'll notice that it doesn't say with some of your heart or with, with, with most of your heart. It says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I think that oftentimes we, we trust the Lord to a certain extent, but then we stop. You know, we, we can trust Him up to a certain point, and then we... I don't know why we don't go over, you know, the next step, you know. It's almost as if we say, well, you know, I could trust the Lord up to this point, but, you know, the rest of it, I think I have to do myself. You don't have to do it yourself. God will be with you through it. But the fact of the matter is, you're, you're exhibiting unbelief when you come to a point and say, well, I'll trust you only this far. Folks, that's unbelief. I don't care what anybody says. You don't really trust the Lord this much. But a person who trusts in the Lord, notice, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's the problem. We stop short of trusting the Lord completely because of our own understanding. He says, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Acknowledge Him. Why do we keep acknowledging everything else or everybody else? Acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. We have to come to that place where we quit being wise in our own eyes. I, I can just say this: it gets us only in trouble. It just gets us in trouble. If we are wise in our own eyes, we're just in trouble because eventually we can't unravel what we get ourselves caught in. And then we cry out to God, "Oh God, help me." Oh, dear God, get me out of this mess. I'll follow you forever. Like the little guy who said, you know, Lord, he's driving around looking for a parking space. Oh, God, if you find me a parking space, I'll go to church every Sunday and I'll stop drinking. Then all of a sudden, a, a parking space opens up and he says, Ah, uh, don't worry about it, Lord. I just found one. It's okay. <laughs> Never mind. That's where we are sometimes. Why is in our own eyes? In verse five of our text, the Lord is once again dealing with pride. In verse five of our text. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. Uh, 
not only that, but, but, but the proud things are brought down. The proud things are brought down and trampled over, not, not by the mighty or the powerful. Did you, did you notice that? But by the poor and the needy. He brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. That's, that's interesting. The powerless of this life will become the powerful. The city, the city of man is nothing to the Lord, you see. The lofty city is not, uh, is, is not named for us. It's symbolic, it's representative of something. But the city, uh, the, the lofty city is the city of man. Just, just think about this for a moment. The, the lofty city is the, is the city of man, and, and the city of man is nothing to the Lord. There's the city of God, and there's the city of man that we see in this chapter. The city of God is blessed. The city of God will have the redeemed. The city of God will have the, the, those who trust in the Lord. But the, the city of man, what is that? It is nothing to the Lord. Just think of the great cities of the world today, most of which represent and symbolize the world system in all of its power and its prestige. Will be, all of this will be brought down to the dust. All of it will be brought down to the dust and the feet of the poor will trample over it. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. He brings it to the dust, it says. And it brings to mind the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the meek. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. There you go. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We oftentimes wonder, when is that going to happen? coming. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then in verses 7 through 9 of our text, it says, the way of the just is uprightness. Almost upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the ways of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night, yes, by my spirit. Within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are on the earth, or are in the earth, I should say, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. The way of the just is uprightness. You know, throughout the existence of Israel, the Jews have, have traveled a very rough, a very bumpy, and a very uneven road. But when God's kingdom is established, the Lord will give to His people level paths and a smooth way. That, that's a beautiful promise that, God's, that God gives. The way of the just is uprightness. The path is smooth and level. And since they will be walking in God's will at last, there will be safety and rejoicing. No more bumps in the road. Ever gone through a parking lot at night, you know, that has speed bumps and you can't see them? 
and, and you trip over one, and the next thing you know, you're trying to find a first aid kit. But it won't be that way when, when the Lord comes, and especially for his people. They'll, they'll walk on smooth paths, and everything will be lit. And, and they're waiting for that. You know, it says that in verse 8. Yes, in the ways of your judgments, the Lord, we waited for you. They will wait on the Lord to discern His will as we see there in verse 8. And they will yearn for the Lord to worship Him even in the night seasons. And that's an interesting thing when we find out that, that eventually there's going to be a time when there's no more night. <laughs> but whenever there is night, they will be desiring the Lord. They will want to worship Him even in the night seasons. Psalm 119 verse 55 tells us, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. You know, to have that attitude in our hearts that says, you know, I'm not just going to worship the Lord when I can see things. I'm going to worship the Lord when I can't see things. I'm going to worship the Lord when, when, when things don't seem clear to me because the Lord can see them. There's nothing in the dark that, the, that Jesus doesn't see. There's nothing in the dark that Jesus doesn't know about. That's why I need to trust in Him and not myself. And, 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 and you know, this, sounds, they may, this may sound funny, but, you know, some people trust in their, in, in their fears. Now, in a natural sense, sometimes that's okay. I mean, we still look both ways when we cross the street. I would hope so. I wouldn't want you to be a, a, a you know, a decoration for a Greyhound bus. So you look both ways, you know, before you cross the street. But some people have too much of a trust in their fears that they don't ever trust God. Let's add to verse 9 now, the next two verses, and see that the Lord God wants the world to learn righteousness. Let's start at verse 9. It says, With my soul... I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. You know, this is an interesting revelation of, of the heart of man. Some of you have read through the Bible. You've read through that passage in the book of Revelation. You know, it talks about the releasing of, 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 uh, uh, of the enemy uh, after the millennial reign, after the thousand years. Satan is let loose just for a short time. And, and people wonder, why is that, you know? You see, in the millennial reign of Christ, you can go back, read Psalm 2, and, and you realize that when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And all the nations will be subject to Christ. But it does not mean that all, all those that are in every nation, you know, they, 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 we have to bow to the Lord, but the fact of the matter is, it's still a matter of us wanting to believe, to, the will to believe. It's still a matter of the will. That, this is why even in this time where we see these verses being given to us, the, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And then it says, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Verse 11, Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see. 
but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. You see, throughout these verses, we have the contrast between the just and the unjust. The unjust being those who, who know no shame and turn away from the living God and act in independence of Him as well as persecute those who desire to do His will. That's right now. They are the ones who are ungrateful for God's goodness. As the text says, He will not learn unrighteousness. Verse 10, Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In other words, the example of righteousness is going to be given. The, the, the world is going to see it, yet the wicked will not learn it. It's not that they can't. It's that they won't. It has always been a matter of the will. But their end will be disaster. The end is going to be disaster. Read, read Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Notice that. If you mark anything down, mark this phrase. Did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They did not repent. In Revelation 16, verse 9, it says, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give Him glory. The implication is that they would not. They did not, because they would not. I don't know how many times people have to hear the gospel to get it into their skulls and, and down into their heart that you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's given you the opportunity to receive Him, to accept His Lordship, to accept who He is as, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the, not only God's Son, but so, the Son of God, and vice versa, God's Son, the, uh, the Son of God, God's Son, God the Son. But how sad that God shows grace in a thousand different ways. But the wicked continue to do evil. His hand is at work, but they will not see it. They will not see it. Isaiah 26, verses 12 through 18. A lengthy passage. We can look at this in a general sense tonight. Lord, you will establish peace for us. For you have also done all our works in us. O Lord our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us. How many masters has Israel had over them? Time and time and time again. But then by now it says, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. Notice you have expanded all the borders of the land. You know, Israel today sits in a very small strip of, of, of land surrounded by all of its enemies. But if you were to do a study of all of the land that God promised them, it would take you all the way over to the river Euphrates. All the way down into close, uh, you know, down towards Saudi 
and Egypt. It's a large piece of land. The borders will be expanded. God will give them back their whole land. Verse 16, Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. In other words, when, when the punishment was upon them. And notice verse 17, As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. The people of Israel will, find, will finally learn the lesson that peace, not only from conflict, but also in regard to sin, is found alone in Jesus the Messiah. Peace in regard to sin, is alone found in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, folks. Listen to this. Mark this in your Bibles. Colossians 1, 19 and verse 20. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus Christ, in Him, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile in all, all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross having made peace through the blood of His cross. In regard to sin, there can be no peace without the righteousness of Jesus Christ, without the blood of Christ, without the cross of Jesus Christ, upon which that blood was shed. I'm getting back to the, that passage in, there in, in verses 12 through 18. It speaks of, of, of those who had dominion over them. Others like the Pharaohs and the various Canaanite kings, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Babylonians, I should say, that had put Israel under subjection, would be punished and would never rise to power again. And, you know, along this way that we're studying the, God, the uh, book of Isaiah, we're going to realize uh, a lot of nations have, have sprung, sprung up, up again from those regions. And uh, we'll, we'll, we've talked about it already somewhat, but we're going to, you know, keep uh, looking at at, at those nations in prophecy. The language now turns prophetic when the agony of the day of the Lord is compared to the pain of a woman in travail and in childbirth. Uh, go back, if you will, to Isaiah 13 for just a moment. We were introduced to this there where it says, Wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. And therefore all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. And notice, this is prophetic language, and so it ties this to what is going to happen, and even things that are happening now. They will be afraid, pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. Pangs, birth pangs, prophetic language here. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Jump to the New Testament. Jump all the way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians. We're coming back to chapter 4 in just a moment. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 1 through 3. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. What have we been talking about in Isaiah? The day of the Lord. What do we find here? That the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Verse, four, uh, verse 3, For when they say, Peace and safety, 
Then sudden destruction comes upon them as what? As labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. Folks, Paul knew the book of Isaiah. Paul was bringing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was bringing us up to date and bringing Isaiah up to date, even in his time, but even more in our time. Israel was in pain like a woman who was giving birth, but the pangs produced nothing. The pangs produced nothing. What did it say? We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. Can you imagine a woman pregnant for nine months? Think about it. Pregnant for nine months. And all of a sudden, she's ready to give birth. All there is, is nothing. That's a, that's a, a tremendous picture here. They did not give birth. Folks, listen. They didn't give birth to the blessings that God wanted them to bring to the world. That's what it says in verse 18. We have been with child, we have been in pain, we have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished, listen, we have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. The blessings, of course, will come during the kingdom age, but they didn't come because they didn't. They weren't obedient and they didn't receive Messiah. But we don't blank them out just because of that, folks. The blessings, of course, will come during the kingdom age when Israel and Mount Zion will be the source of blessing for the whole world. The humble in heart will know that the Lord is responsible for increase and blessing. And they can rely then on the Lord in the times of suffering and in effectiveness. We can do that now. We can rely on the Lord in our times of suffering and ineffectiveness. Because we come to the realization that we're not the ones that accomplish things God does through us. Through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus accomplishes these things through us. We don't accomplish them. If we try it in and of ourselves, we're not going to make it. And lastly, there comes the promise now here at the end of the chapter of resurrection. Isaiah 26, verses 19 through 21. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of the herbs. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, I should say. And the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers. And shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. Until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. For their iniquity, the earth will also disclose her blood. And no more. And will no more cover slain there are some commentators who, who believe this passage speaks not only or uh, speaks not of a physical resurrection okay understand what I'm saying uh, there are some people who say that th- this is not talking about a physical resurrection but, but actually coincides with Ezekiel 37 and the valley of dry bones what, what's being resurrected is the, 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 the dead bones of Israel you know well we know that already from Ezekiel 37 uh, the remnant of the last days that will stand for all of Israel and while there is some credence, you know, to this idea, this passage may stand for the greater clarity that needs to be applied to the Old Testament concerning resurrection. Because the Old Testament, there's, there's this shadow uh, dealing with a resurrection. It's not a real clear thing. That, that's the reason why there were those in, in Jesus' time who believed in resurrection and, and those like the, the um, uh, 
uh, Sadducees who didn't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. That's why they were sad, you see. I just want to make sure you're still awake. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Forget the jokes. Okay. Uh, the secrets of the life to come. This is, this is why we, we, we can see them clarity here. As Paul puts it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, he says, But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Notice, has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. So there has to be something that, that links us to resurrection in the Old Testament. And, and here is a confident expectation of resurrection and glory for the Lord's righteous ones when it says, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. By the way, the dew of herbs can also be somewhat of a symbolic thing of the Holy Spirit. The dew of herbs, the the Spirit coming and giving life. How similar to Paul's comparison in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, you have to read a a lot larger passage, but I have to do this quickly because of time. But it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead, Paul says. The body is sown in corruption. Sown is a a word of planting, you see. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body and so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. That's Jesus. One translation, by the way, of verse 19 says, The earth will give birth to her dead. The earth will give birth to her dead. So, it's speaking of resurrection here. Now, the last two verses present another prophetic phrase that will affect not only the remnant that has been mentioned throughout, but will also speak significantly to the church for practically the same reasons. And you know what? I only got a minute. So I'm going to actually start here next time. But I want to tell you what. When we start here next time, I'm I'm assured of this. It is going to blow your minds what we find in these two verses. Now we are going to study chapter 27 next week. But I, I, got, I need a little more time because I've really got to go through some explanations about these two last verses, verses 20 and 21. I want to read them to you one more time. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. I'm going to link this not only to what we're talking about as resurrection, I'm going to link it to the rapture of the church. And I'm going to spend some time doing that next time. But if the rapture happens before, praise the Lord. All right. And we'll talk about the rapture next week. All right, let's pray.